Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week, I interview the team behind the graphic novel from IDW called The Mighty Elvis. They are illustrator and legendary designer Seymour Quast and the nearly equally legendary designer Stephen Brower. We talk for about 30 minutes about Mr. Quast's extremely long career. Um, he has some fascinating stories about his time working in the industry all the way back to the 1940s and 1950s, as well as his, their mutual love for Elvis, their love for music, and their love for the design world in general. It's a fascinating 45 minutes or so. Hope you enjoy it. It starts right after this ad. Let's let's just dive right in. Um, so why Elvis? Why not? I mean, his what a wonderful character, personality, um, terrific gestalt here. Everything about him was wonderful. A beautiful man with a great voice and terrific personality to please millions of teenage girls. <laughs> he was truly a figure who was larger than life. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the things I enjoy about the book is how much you celebrate that. Yeah, that's what the book is. I'm sure it is a celebration of him. For some reason, I, I mean, I've seen other books on, on Elvis, uh, but I want to do something very, very positive, uh, and, and to show him in the in the best light here, and some of the wonderful things that he had done, some of the silly things like the movies that he made. But all in all, it was it was a great life. It was a very full life in which he uh, really did change the world in some ways. And uh, I think your passion for his career kind of comes through in the book. Um, how did you approach creating the art for the book? All There's a real diversity of types of images in there. Well, I, I, so years ago, I, for some reason, I started doing some portraits of Elvis. Um, and I'm, I'm not very good at caricatures here, but I just made a bunch of drawings. And then um, a couple of years ago, I sort of looked at that and I thought, well, maybe... And you could be made into a into a book, and I started looking him up uh, here. And uh, with Steve, we we did something terrific. How did you guys connect to create the book, you and Steve? Oh, we've been working together for quite some time. I think since uh, the um, late '80s. When, when I was an art director at Citadel Press Carroll Publishing, and, and I hired Seymour to uh, design covers for me. And uh, and then in the mid-90s, I was actually with him at Pushpin. So we, we've worked together quite a bit. Okay. So you guys have and been... And you were uh, an art director at Print. And then at Print right? as well. Yeah, yes. Uh, it was Print Magazine. Uh, and then we shared a studio together. Yep. So this was, you know, just another wonderful opportunity to work with uh, Seymour. And, <laughs> and, and he had actually produced quite a bit of art before I came on board. He he, he was really uh, working away with Elvis 
before I got there. So is this a long-term project? Have you been working on this for a long time before you produced the book? And for me, no. It, it, as I said, I produced a bunch of portraits of him, just drawing for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after a while, when I took it out of my, my drawer and looked at it again, I thought that might be a book about, uh, about his life. I think one of my favorite aspects of the book are these little inventories you take of the different things he did, his outfits, his guitars, his movies, um, especially the two-page layout about um, with all his movies, different pictures of Elvis and his co-stars. Uh, that must have, been a jo- must have been a lot of fun to draw. It must have been even more fun for him. <laughs> <laughs> right and i think it was probably your piece steve about uh the 50 women and one man elvis dated <laughs> yeah i, I, was, when, I was, steve when did that. you find that list <laughs> what did you make it up <laughs> yeah there's there's always been rumors about his sexuality actually um, as there usually is with anybody who comes along who's, who's different from who's gone before. Well, in his case, it seems inevitable to talk about that. There's just some, there's a raw sexuality about him. Oh, absolutely. And I find it striking. I mean, his first appearance on the Ed Sullivan show was 10 years before I was born. Um, and yet he still has this raw sexuality that just comes through the screen. Absolutely. I think, you know, that's one of the things that made him so popular, actually. That that and, you know, uh, his, you know, moving his hips on, on stage. <laughs> um, I, have you guys ever been to Graceland? Been where? I'm sorry? To, to Graceland? Uh, no. No, I really would love to go down there, but uh, I haven't done it yet. I love... Uh, I, Go ahead, Steve. Sorry. I love that the drawing of Graceland with all the detail and all the gilded edges and stuff on everything. Did you work from photos Uh, on that? Yeah. Um, It looked good, and I'm sure he enjoyed that that place because it's so much different from the house that, that he grew up in when he was a kid. Oh, I think that's a big that's a big part of his story, isn't it? That he he's truly is a rags to riches success story. Right, and very fast. I mean, I, I'm surprised how how quickly he became famous. Uh, but uh, I, his talent came through very quickly. And you guys both do a good job of kind of talking about Colonel Tom Parker and how he was both kind of the hero and the villain of his story. Oh, absolutely. He, he's, he's quite a character unto himself and, and has a really sordid history. Um, but, you know, Elvis credited him with his success, and he, he may very well be right. It cost him 50% of his earnings. Yeah. And, and that's why, like, 
is 50% of something he may not have ever gotten if he hadn't had Colonel Tom as his partner, but at the same time, that's a crazy amount of money. Seymour, <laughs> uh, uh, you had a long and, and uh, illustrious career in uh, illustration. Um, you seem to be moving towards graphic novels over the last few years. One of the most enjoyable things I did prepping for this was reading your um, graphic novel of the Divine Comedy. Can you tell me how that came about and what your approach was to it? Well, I was, I was looking for material uh, that I could use because I don't write. So I don't, you know, I don't create uh, graphic novels. Um, but I, I use them and, and, and Dante was, the story is great because it was, it was fun to do. Uh, going from from the inferno to purgatory to to heaven, you know, it was a great trip for Dante, describing it himself, his own his own travels. Uh, it, it's a it's a great story, and there's so much stuff in it to to illustrate. Some of it is gory, uh, but I, I had fun doing just all of it. I think part of what made it powerful to me it was all line work, which makes the horror of of uh, the Inferno especially more intense. I think. Uh, well, I, there have been other versions of of the Inferno uh, and, and more more realistic ones. Um, I didn't especially. Well, it's not my my style here, but I I just wanted to. Especially interested in in making the pages work together in terms of design uh, and and the book to be structured so that there's nice pacing here. There's some some simple spreads and, and then some more more complicated ones. Uh, but I, the the design is always uppermost in my mind, along with with the drawing. I know Steve, you're a big comic fan. Uh, Seymour, are you? How much comics have you read? And did you kind of? Uh, how did you approach creating this book? Um, well, I sort of went went through. I read one of the translations, uh, and then I started with with page one. I didn't. I, there was no way to lay out the whole book. So I just took a took a chance that I might come out with the, with the right number of pages. Okay. But I just started from the beginning and worked my way through. It was it was a real delight to read. I I've got to look up um, the Canterbury Tales adaptation also. Are you going to be doing more kind of classic adaptations? Well, I like that. I, I'm I'm, uh, I'm looking for the the right kind of things. Uh, one graphic novel that I've always wanted to do is Voltaire's Candide, but I haven't found a publisher who's willing to let me do it. Ah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's Maybe a real... there's somebody out there. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Steve, it's striking. Like, I, I, I um, just pulled out your Mort Meskin book, and I imagine Meskin's approach to the Divine Comedy would be completely different from Seymour's <laughs> approach. It would be really interesting, but 
Seymour's approach to graphic novels is uh, so unique. It, his visual storytelling is not like anybody else, and uh, and and I think that's true with Elvis, which isn't a graphic novel, but um, the the way he portrays his story is unlike anyone, uh, and so. Um, but yeah, Mort, Mort would have done a great job, I think. <laughs> um, so you're still creating. You're, you're pu- I, I don't want to date you, but you're pushing 90, 90 years old, Seymour. What? Ke- uh, <laughs> not quite. Almost. Okay. Uh, what What drives you to continue to create? Well, what else is there to do? Uh, you know, it may be when I find them piece of work that I could stop. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Uh, or else, I don't know. A day without doing a drawing is wasted, as I always say. Oh, I like that very much. I like that very much. Um, that's a, that shows your life passion for it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've been working, you've been working in illustration all your life, um, pretty much, anyway. <laughs> I guess that counts. <laughs> uh, I, I like the story about you drawing um, airplanes during World War II and kind of having your adventures with the planes. Yeah, I did sort of battles, you know, with just the planes shooting at each other and shooting some down. Uh, and the last few years, I was sort of translating that into doing real paintings of that because of my anti-war feelings. Uh, and so I have an outlet with, uh, with, with planes shooting each other. Yeah, I, was, yeah I, I know you just recently released that book that's, um, well, I guess a year or two ago, which is uh, Illustrations Around Wars. Um, obviously a very different subject matter, but um, uh, you seem to really enjoy taking on a diversity of different concepts, I guess. Yeah, the book was at war with war, and it was a it was a timeline of, of all the wars since 3300 BC up to a couple of years ago. And I did some drawings of some of the battles to go with it. That's another book I think I need to uh, look for in the stores because it seems oh, yeah. so interesting. Please, I think you'll enjoy it. <laughs> Uh, can you talk a little bit about Pushpin? We talked about it briefly, um, but I'm very curious kind of how that came about and um, how it turned into just such a fruitful business for you. Well, I was in school at Cooper Union with Milton Glaser and Ed Sorrell and Ronald Ruffins, and the three of us uh, got together um, with, with Milton, and I guess there's four of us. Uh, my math is not very good, but um, we we started freelancing in between our second and third years at, at school, and then after that, we sort of, after a while, uh, had a place to, um, to to start freelancing, and after a while, we decided to 
it was a mailing piece and we got work. And uh, we saw it was successful and decided, well, let's form a studio. Mm. And then it being kind of your life's work. Yeah, well, uh, we were there during the time of, of sort of changing styles and eventually going from letterpress to offset and to, to smoke screen uh, into digital. Is so my, we, oh, sorry, keep going, please. We ran the gamut. Okay. Here. Is my research right that you worked at Esquire during its golden age? Um, yeah, with, uh, with um, um, you know, at, at a time when when they were changing from a rather staid magazine with a, uh, uh, with a reputation of, of, of dirty pictures into a very terrific, terrifically designed magazine. Mm-hmm. That must have been exciting to be part of that transformation. That that work is legendary now, and I think of some of those incredible covers. Um, they, they really are very much of their time, but felt very ahead of their time at the time. Yeah, I was there. Alexei Brodovich was, I guess, really the father of modern magazine design, uh, and he really started all. all that often uh, and inspired a lot of magazine designers to do terrific things. Were you there when Henry Wolf was the art director? Yeah, uh, yeah. Henry Wolf and I sort of <laughs> joined the magazine about the same time, but I got fired um, <laughs> a couple months along yeah, along with. Uh, Why did you get fired? Oh, I, I, there were, I don't know, I, I didn't, it, my first job was at the New York Times in their promotion department, and I was doing drawings and doing little mailing pieces, but I didn't know how to comp letter, or I didn't know, I didn't know that the system, it was so casual at the Times, but at Esquire, everything had to be done right, I was, I was uh, in the bullpen, mm-hmm. along with other people, and just doing layouts upon layouts and not doing anything very much. Uh, so I was sort of useless and they found that out. That <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure you were useless. Uh, <laughs> um, one thing both of you have in common is a real passion for education. Um, uh, I'm not sure I have a question there as much as why do you feel education is important and what do you see in the next generation of designers and creators? Okay. Um, well, I, I love teaching, and and uh, I feel like I'm giving back everything that I've gotten. Uh, you know, uh, I, I've had. You know, I, I'm very thankful for my career, and uh, you know, I love the field, and so I'm able, I believe, uh, to convey that enthusiasm. Uh, I find. Um, you know, this generation a challenge in many ways, and in many ways I learned very much from them. 
uh, um, a little disheartened with the reliance on the uh, digital realm. And uh, at the same time, I see them doing innovative things, and I learn from them too. And so in a more selfish way, uh, you know, I'm there because, you know, I do learn from them, and it keeps me uh, interested in going too. I know, Seymour, I saw an interview with you where you talk about uh, how people should learn to draw without a computer and then use the computer to enhance. Well, I, I, I tell my students you know, to draw on paper before they get to the computer uh, and just make thumbnails, but, but draw on paper with a, with a pencil first. Um, and use use a computer for reference. And that way they get the fundamentals down? Well, I, just that they can, uh, they can, they can play with, with sizes. It, it isn't, and, and come up with, with ideas that may be totally fresh. Mm. Here, um, the computer sort of puts them in, into a box and, and it, Work looks like it's already been done, uh, but if you keep open, when you when you first started working on an assignment, uh, there's so many different ways you can go. You're, you're not tied into what what you're seeing on the screen. Yeah, I see that too. You know, as I mentioned to you earlier, I work in software, and um, I find just uh, doing things by hand often just has more of an impact and requires a different sort of thought also than doing something on the computer. Uh, maybe it's that it's just very natural to write by hand because we all learn that in school. Um, but um, it, it always feels like the computer gets in the way in some ways to kind of box you in. Yeah, drawing with a pencil, doing rough things, sort of, it, it can go in different, in different directions. So sort of getting vague ideas that, that you you uh, you tighten up on and you, you um, and you keep on doing until something emerges that that, that makes sense. Uh, computers sort of inhibits that uh, because it looks too real. Is that your experience too, Steve? Absolutely. But I always have all my students. Um, begin with thumbnails and uh, everything begins with drawing but that's i think the most important thing um, that they could learn in foundation year you know undergrad students um, is how to draw and everything builds upon that and i still i, I give them uh, assignments where they still have to do stuff by hand although not you know of course a lot of it's on the computer as well but, you know, as Seymour said, you, you know, you, you, if you start on the computer, you're locked in to something and uh, it's not going to go very far. Yeah, yeah, it, it boxes you in in, in unexpected ways. Um, yeah, but still, it's great for reference, you know, to get ideas from, uh, like, I, 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 if I have to draw a horse, I get to look at a picture of a horse. I, I can't. We, we have to know what the real thing looks like. 
mm-hmm. and make you know, and thumbnail drawings for first. It forces you to think in a whole different way. You have to think about how the musculature works and how the, the legs come off the body and the head comes off the body. If you're just copying a photograph, right. you're not really taking that in. Um, the, other thing I, the other thing I advocate is our books because they all do the same Google search when they're researching something, so they all come up with the same exact images, and there's no discovery there. Um, and you know, I tell them, you know, just browse the stacks in the library uh, and and discover new things. So that's the only way to do it because, you know, you just do a computer search and everything's there for everyone and it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I bet it was really helpful for the Elvis book to have all the references to costumes and stuff. Um, yeah, there were enough, enough pictures of them. Uh, I mean, there wasn't, it wasn't a lot of other situations with, uh, with Elvis. It was him in the army, mm-hmm. um, going to Germany, getting married, uh, in his early work in the recording studios. Um, other than that, there's not, not a hell of a lot, but I was able to work with things that he had done with, with his, with with the songs and with with the records and then um, his tours, mm-hmm. um, his music generally. Yeah, I was I was struck. There was just recently that HBO documentary about Elvis too, and seeing him come alive, especially like the '68 comeback special, which I had never seen anything from before, um, just really made me see him much more as a three dimensional figure. But that was a great yeah, yeah, I think we probably think of him rather rather shallow. Yeah. Because because he was so pretty, you know, his songs were generally so sweet. Um, but there's, that, there really was a lot of depth there. I mean, he worked very hard doing those, those things, and he was, he was really uh, very concerned about the music he was making, uh, and. Uh, well, of course, he didn't was not interested in the, in the movies. While those movies made a lot of money, but but yeah, he had uh, uh, some quirks, but uh, otherwise, he was an intelligent man. So I would guess you like uh, young thin Elvis over older uh, fat Elvis. <laughs> Yeah. You know. Yeah. That happens to a lot of a lot of people who uh, are in the public domain. What what happens to them? Yeah, Steve, I think you do a good job of talking about how much drugs really hit him by the mid sixties. Yeah, it, it is sad. One thing I will say about right up until the end, he was an excellent voice. You know, I've watched a lot of um, of clips of him. Towards the end where he's sort of rambling, you know, famously losing, uh, you know, coherence. Yet when he starts to sing, he, he sounds great. 
and uh, you know, so he, he was really a, an incredible talent. Hmm. Uh, but he was also, you know, sort of the first victim of that kind of fame. Somehow, uh, it didn't hit like Frank Sinatra, or maybe it did in a different way. I think of, of Sinatra as being the big star before Elvis, um, and there were, there were others, but Elvis, you know, it really seemed to have an adverse uh, effect on him. Uh, and it, it's sad, but how, how do you handle that? I think the Beatles fared better because there were four of them, so they had each other, um, where Elvis was by himself. I think it's also a generational thing. Uh, at that time, they just did not know how to handle someone who had that level of fame and wealth, um, especially someone who came from such a poor family. Right. Um, there's a lot of stories about athletes, for example, from the same eras who ended up squandering their money or not knowing how to use it. And like that's gotten a lot better in the last few years. Well, he seemed to have squandered his money with with Cadillacs. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, and he bought the house, and you know, for all its grandiosity, it is a house, and uh, <laughs> it's certainly worth a lot these days. Uh, sure. So, how has the reaction been to the book, to the Elvis book? People seem really excited about it. I, I get a lot of great feedback, and um, uh, they, uh, yeah, there seems to be a lot of excitement. This Thursday, we're doing a, a um, talk at the Society of Illustrators. Uh, they're doing an Elvis night uh, sketch night. They have an open sketch night every Thursday, and um, they're going to have uh, Elvis impersonators to sketch from. Oh, fun. Yeah, and then Seymour and I are going to talk a little bit about the book as well. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> uh, I should ask you, uh, so you've done three other books, I think, about musicians. Louis Armstrong, Woody Guthrie, um, who's the third? I, uh, Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington. How did you approach this book differently, or did you approach them all roughly the same? Well, the, the amazing thing, this was brought me back to the Woody Guthrie book, because... Woody was one of my first loves and, and early influences um, when I was actually a preteen. And so even though I had to research to write that book, uh, I really knew the story. Louis Armstrong, believe it or not, who I, I'm now completely in love with, I knew nothing about hmm. other than his public persona when I was growing up. And so that was, you know, a lot of research. And the same was true of Duke Ellington. When Seymour, um, you know, brought Elvis to me, I actually knew the entire story. And, um, you know, and of course, back that up with research, I learned a lot about Colonel Parker. But Elvis's story I actually knew because I, I was so into him when I was younger. Yeah, we were trying to think of... Uh, uh, the next book in the in the Elvis style here, and we haven't come up with with somebody definite, but it takes us. It, it means somebody with a certain amount of celebrity who is visually great to work on for me. Uh, so it has to be a terrific story, and uh, and uh, somebody with. 
Mm-hmm. Which is what Elvis was. Well, I, I'm intrigued to see who you come up with for your next one. Yeah. Well, if you have any suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of mine are more contemporary to the 60s and 70s. I've been playing with the idea myself of doing a book on Lou Reed, the musician. Um, oh, no who I, I think his life is just fascinating. and um, But I need to get enough of an in on it to make it uh, a good project. <laughs> Steve, I, Steve, I know you have a couple other books coming out as well. We should talk about those here and then maybe have you come back to discuss those separately. Yeah, this past year I had a, a couple of children's books. Okay. Came out. How many have how many have you written? How many children's books have you put out? I I'm done over forty. Wow. Books for kids along with uh with grown up books. Do you still get a little bit of a thrill when you have a book with your work in your hands? Uh yeah, it's always disappointing when I when I first see it, but after a while it sort of gets better. <laughs> disappointing? <laughs> Yeah, there's always something wrong with it. Oh, good to know that doesn't go away. I find all my mistakes. (laughs) And and I I have another book out right now, uh, Comics Admin uh, from Fantagraphics, about uh, comic book artists who work in advertising. And then later this year, I have a a Crime Comics Confidential uh, reprints of Golden Age Crime Comics from... um, I, uh, Yo Books, IDW. They'll sit next to the Golden Age Western book that you put out a few years ago. Yep, yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love exploring different genres so, and, and writing about them. It's also an, uh, uncovering lost treasures to me. Yep, absolutely. It's what keeps me still browsing through the old comic racks and stuff. Yep, me too. Oh, thank you.